0: welcome listeners to the episode of why me now i'm your host michelle and today i'm excited to have juan join us in discussing the impact of our environment on our lives so juan if you could give us a little introduction of your upbringing and how it's affected your life and um it's and how it relates to being a part of the black community i would greatly appreciate you share your story
1: how are you doing everybody my name is juan again um call me Stevie j if you follow me on my music or any of my social media stuff um an aspiring musician i guess is what people would call it but uh my role and i don't know i grew up in north county st louis um i was born in dallas but i was raised in st louis and uh i don't know the you know we both went to Ritter, and there is a lot of different i mean sure there was a majority of white people were there but there was also also a good mix of people from a lot of different backgrounds so uh, I remember previously you had mentioned how you thought there was a good mix like you felt like you were kind of like inclusive with a lot of different people and I kind of did that too
0: I do I honestly do think that we had it um pretty good compared to the, the school systems that I've witnessed um, here in Chicago. It's just, we had a really good, well-rounded uh, experience, in my opinion.
1: Like, if you think about the Midwest, like, everyone always thinks, like, Middle America is, like, really white, which is, it's true, it really is, but I remember there was Asian kids from, like, elementary school. I remember uh, Indian kids in high school. Like, we, we had a good mix of people from all walks of life and as we get older it's weird because i kind of see like you know i never thought about like uh everyone else's struggles like because you know you're focused on what you're going through a lot but like um for instance i think you know financially in my household we grew uh a little tight like we, we didn't always have a lot of money and i remember like hearing a few years ago rittner started offering lunches like throughout the summer like breakfast and lunch throughout the summer and i was like wait what like some kids didn't have like those meals when we weren't in school and that never even crossed my mind like even though we were i knew we were going through hard times like i never even thought like wait some kids didn't actually get food during those like when we weren't in school
0: yeah Uh, it's pretty sad actually and they're still incorporating those types of um programs into schools for you know there's a lot of people that are homeless right now like I my sister technically are and my sister's daughter gets you know every privilege because of that reason I mean they they uh, pay for her busing anywhere she lives they you know obligated to have to come pick her up and take her to school every day they include food for everything um in the program after school program so yeah the school districts tend to cater to those that are in need more so than you realize
1: yeah like I said I never thought about it back then and then um, now to see it it kind of opens your eyes and again in my environment where I grew up it was uh, I think it was your brother you were probably talking to or somebody where you were like talking about you know growing up in North St. Louis and, and, and doing like this is what i would call it hood ratchet like things that aren't necessarily kosher and you're just doing like well i'm just doing what everyone else is doing um and my and my family it was like either you work with my uncles who own their own business like my grandpa started a business of landscaping or the younger generation were out doing uh gangster activity i'll call it and i i made that decision early on like i don't want either one of these lifestyles like cutting grass was so stereotypical. I was always a little bit embarrassed by it as a kid. And then I seen my cousins and, and family go to jail and I was like, that doesn't sound fun either. So uh, early on, I knew that was a, a, a thing I needed to break as quick as possible.
0: How old were you? Because I was the exact same way.
1: Um, I know at least by the time I was, what? 12 or 13 like I was I know it was in middle school like I think probably 11 12 years old I think I started seeing relatives going to jail like things I normalized like I remember a cousin of mine I don't remember what he was wanted for at the time uh but I remember like before I was able to leave the house uh my mom or brother would be like hey if anybody asks where, where, where Chris is or hey, have you seen Chris just just tell them you don't know know where he is you haven't seen him even though like he was like staying at my brother's house or at our in our basement or whatever the case like i knew who who he was but they were like oh the cops are looking for him so if anyone asks you don't know who he is or you haven't seen him and like i thought that was normal like oh nobody else was hiding and embedding a relative because they were on the run for a violent crime or something like uh and that was like i said 10 11 years old when when stuff like that was happening um so it, it's interesting because you don't, you don't, you normalize it. So then when you normalize it, it doesn't seem like it's a wrong thing. And in some ways, like I say, I'm a little jaded in that sense. Like I have a hard time, like you watch the news and they try and, you know, villainize somebody and like, oh, he was a, uh, you know, I don't know. This for instance, we'll say the Mike Brown incident. like, oh, he was, they say he was a gentle giant, but he, he went to school and did this and that, like, that's so one-sided when you paint that picture like every gangster that I've ever met was they, w- they were actually caring people they just used use the resources that they had they didn't have a good education they didn't have great resources to to do anything other than like uh you know what I don't have a lot of money but I can take $200 to go buy this drug and then I can flip it and make more and more and more and now I can make a way for myself that way Well, Uh, no, that's
2: where
0: where you got to edit. So you're adding up this $200 to to get these drugs, but they weren't trying to get the money to get ahead. They were trying to get the money to get some Jordans. And you know, that is true. Like they, you can't be a part of an environment where you are lacking resources and education and all these things and, you know, have ambition. Like you and I are different. You know, me being a black African-American at the same age, you being, you know, a Hispanic black man and and us both going to the same schools having different struggles in the same environment as far as education concerned and almost neighborhood as well but in our family sense is different but when people are like you said normalizing things that happen in their household and like you and me go to school where we have like this well-rounded experience where there's whites and asians and things of this nature you know for us we were exposed to seeing what it's like to be ambitious and what's it's like to reach for you know more than what's around you these people that you're referring to that you know are trying to make a way that they're only trying to get by that day
1: well yeah they, you're you're right in, in some sense but i mean for like i said most of the most of the ones so there's a difference like um so I, I often tell people like I don't know the difference between uh, what you call a man and what you call a gangster. Because mm. the, the way I was raised was everything that we epitomize as a that's what a man is supposed to do was the same thing as what a gangster did. Now the people oh. that we uh, what we see and uh, like what what is I guess um, publicized is what is a uh, as gangster is more of like what I would generalize like those are thugs like those aren't people that's not gangster like that's not like there's they're, they're different tiers to it to me and and the reason for it was again in my upbringing the, uh, the men that I had they were they walked the line of being like I'm a man I handle my business I do what I have to do Um, but they were also did some things that were like eh, not everything was kosher right so mm-hmm. In my mind, like, as a man, your job is to you provide for your family. You're a man of your word. You know, you, you don't inflict violence or do things just for the sake of doing it. If you're doing it, you're doing it to protect uh, Sorry, to protect yourself or those around you. You're not just being an asshole to be an asshole type thing. And that was what I was always taught was a man. Like, all the men that were in my life, that's how they acted. But they also did some, you know, if you did something illegal, you're not doing it because you're, you're trying to be cool or anything like that you're doing like look I got to provide for my family however I have to and I don't stay in that world like I do do it one or two times and I get out that's what I always seen now as I got older and everyone started talking about like gangsters from like movies and tv shows and things like that I was like that's not that's not what I've seen that wasn't you know and so I've I seen it in a different way now with that being said uh, I also know that it's hard to differentiate for people that's never seen it because when we see it on TV, they always show it from that one side. The, the stupid ones, the ones that do get in trouble, the ones that are doing it because they want to have a name and be braggadocious for it. Not the ones that were like, no, like, if you, if you ever watched the documentary on, like, when they took down the mafia, a lot of the people would say, like, you know those guys that were at the top of the, the food chain? They were mm-hmm. just providing for their family. Yeah, they did things illegally to do it, but they were just trying to, you know, they, in their mind, they were doing the right thing. And they were doing the right thing by with what they had, not by society standards. And I guess that's what I've always kind of had a hard time di- differentiating sometimes. because I
0: have a like, few questions for you. Okay. So you're talking about um, the difference between, you know, you said a gangster that you've seen on TV and, you know, the man... You know, slash gangster in your home. So, I, the questions that I have so to just to, bet, to circle back, you, you know, you're a Hispanic man, I'm a Black woman. I've actually married uh, a Hispanic man before. So, I understand exactly where you're talking about when you say that their household is you know develop differently where if they're say for instance in a gang you know those gangs were technically where they would consider themselves gangsters or you know however you know the names cross over but in essence gang members what i learned about hispanic gang members is that they are only to serve their community and their families and protect um, their households, you know, they're not really out here trying to have like gang wards and you know, they're only there to protect their family. And that's what I learned. I, I mean, I only know this from my firsthand experience, um, and seeing that because my ex husband's brother was in a gang. So, you know, I was really okay. close to it. So I understand like the dynamic of it, what you're saying, cause it is true.
1: You know, actually, I, I sorry, I went off into a tangent because I tend to do that sometimes, so I apologize. But, um, yeah, that's true. And actually, what I, I forget to, to point out, so being in St. Louis, I come from an immigrant family. I'm a first generation born in America. Um, now, I'm the younger of two older brothers, and I have two younger sisters that are twins by, like, so I'm, like, 11 years younger from my oldest and then for my sisters, they're like 13 years younger than I am. Wow, your family um, is big. Yeah, so... Uh, and it's funny because we all have different walks of life. Uh, and we should kind of attribute to, like, what was going on at the time that we were growing up, right? hmm So my oldest brother went to the Marines, became a cop. He's a captain in uh, a subsidy in, in St. Louis now. My middle brother he's been in prison off and off, well, for the majority of like 15 to 20 years, he's been in prison. Um, and then I was, like I said, I was the one that kind of broke that generational curse of like, yeah, I don't wanna be, that's none, none of that looked appealing to me. But a lot of my my uh, views have been on like, you know what, we're the minority, we've been moved here. Um, and being in, in St. Louis, not that, I call St. Louis diet racism and I can get into that later but we were taught to be protective of each other. But when you're like that, when you have like a tight knit family, that's like, oh, you know, all the Mexicans that we know, cause they're all related from being cousins and whatever, but the rest of the world looks like they're different people. You being from St. Louis, like the Moody's were a big family in St. Louis. Like everybody, like there's like a hundred Moody's that we all knew, we all went to school with, whatever. At this least in the region. It
0: <laughs> is true. It's so true. And, I knew
1: a lot of Moody's. <laughs> So so yeah, we you know, that's a big family in St. Louis and shout out to them, you know, I'm friends with them too, but um when you ran into one, you're like, Man, they're, they're just like all together, but to like the white kids are like, Oh, those are they're, they're gangsters. They all they all hang out together, and all
0: the so, stereotype that you were talking about that they educate these people through television. You were talking about that just a few minutes ago and it's just so true. Cause like where do you where do they get this from? Like why would you just assume and you literally nailed you like hit the nail on the head? They learn it from TV.
1: Yeah. So like what we see on TV is what you know, the what is it? Art uh reflects uh or art imitates reality or whatever. Like so it's that's how Mm -hmm. they look at it like what what you're seeing and what you focus on um that's how they look at it and so like the same thing like being you know the only for at least for the most part until like probably 2004 i think we were like the biggest mexican family that was there most people knew like oh you you know you know the process you know the mother now like we're all related
0: that Um, is so ironic that you say that because i actually have this conversation a lot with my family. I'm like, yeah, I went to a really diverse school or whatever at Ritner District and I was there from, you know, early education until I graduated from high school. But during that period of time, I honestly do not remember a lot of Hispanic students. And I know you spoke right. on like Asian students. I actually had an Asian friend that was my friend from like elementary until high school. So, it was sprinkles, but like it wasn't a big like thing but like you said your family was you know large and you know that was yeah. kind of the only reason why I was ever exposed to the Hispanic community
1: right so i remember being like before the 2000s we would tell people like oh you see a, a mexican family out at the park you know come ask about me i'm sure you'll see this. like we're all there like we were all together like um that's a funny story in itself to me because um uh, when my dad came to St. Louis he was visiting his sister um, and my mom uh, her well my grandma she was he- giving birth at the same time my aunt was giving birth and so my dad and my mom's family met at that time uh, in the hospital not being a lot of Mexicans around or whatever so their families kind of like quickly you know uh, clicked and then like a, a cousin or moved up and then they brought their family up and so it was just like that's how the families kind of came together up there, and that's why you know, and we would bring a few friends here and there. So that early on, that's where like the, the that population of the Mexicans. Like, oh yeah, we are, you know, we all grew up together, so we're all family as far as we were concerned. But yeah, that's a it's a funny story on how that gets started with that. But it, I mean, being in product of your environment, you're you see certain things that happen, and you just like I said, you normalize it. Um, even even without me wanting to break that stereotype, I will say I, I was targeted by police at some point. Because uh, as I started getting older, they started seeing me more because I'm hanging out with black kids at school. We're playing football together. We're doing, you know, after-school activities. But again, the police are looking at the black kids like, oh, they're the rowdy ones. They're the ones up to no good for whatever reason they put in their head. And then... I'm being the the one, you know. There's one or two Mexicans that are hanging out. Me and Marcos probably the only two hanging out amongst all these black people. So I'm sure they're like, oh, look at these guys. They're they're confused hanging out with all the black kids, type thing um, and, and, but and, and I got even tired of your... being pulled over.
0: And just to add to that, it's like in your experience, like you, you know you know seeing how the cops treated african-americans and you know discriminated against them in your in your company it's kind of like you know what makes them think that they can treat people differently when you have a different perspective the same group of people it's just like that's what makes you start to become aware because it's just like I'm having, you know, I have no problem with these people, but you have a problem with they haven't done anything. So at a young age, you start to deduce these things don't add up. Yeah. And I think I that's mean, kind of what happened.
1: Yeah. So like, uh, you know, I got pulled over a lot. Um, you know, like I would, like when I was driving, uh, I'd have one or two black kids in the car. And uh, we knew as soon as we seen the cops, like, yep, they're pulling us over you know what they see is they see a mexican and two black kids they know we're up to no good you know they're searching us for
2: or they assume that you're up well, to no good
1: yeah i mean that's that's true that's exactly what it is they assumed that in their mind they automatically knew we were doing it even though all we were doing was going to 7-eleven or we were going to the movies or whatever the case we were doing exactly
0: we had no ill intentions
1: yeah um, and if my brother wasn't a cop, I probably would have had a lot harder time. The fact that he was a cop, I got, um, a lot of them would let me go pretty quickly once they found out. Cause he was, uh, he moved up in ranks pretty quick. He was part of SWAT for a while. He was a sergeant, uh, really early on. So that gave me some leeway with not being, um, oh, like I would be harassed. I can't say I wasn't harassed, but when I, once they realized I was in the car, they would leave me alone. Um, but my point to where I was going with this was I did get harassed so much at one point. It did make me start doing things wrong. I did start kind of like, you know what? They're going to pull me over every time because they think I'm selling drugs. I'm going to do this because at least now they have a reason. Now, I never got caught doing anything that I shouldn't have been doing. But it, it justified it in my head. Like, I'm tired of you telling me this is what I'm doing. I'm doing this. I'm doing this and after a while. I was like, you know what? It's like, if you're going to say I'm cheating, I might as well cheat because we're going to argue. We're going to fight. We're going to do this. So I might as well do it. So at least now now, now it's justified.
0: And now, that's so it's, sad.
1: It's a young and dumb mentality because you feel like, you know what, you're getting beat down by it and you just, you know, lay down to it. Like, you know what, fine. If this is what you want, then let's let's go this route because at least this way it makes sense, right? Um, but luckily, like, like I said, my brother's been in jail for, for the, the 20 years. He's the same person that kind of pushed me not he didn't push me into it he guided me into that life but he's also the same one that got me out of it and I I can't say that enough like I I don't know how many people have a bad influence on them because like oh my older brother does this so I'm following in his footsteps type thing you kind of do it because you're the little brother little sister whatever but he was also the same one like once he went to prison and he realized like yo I'm going to jail for 15 years for this this charge that I have like this isn't what you want you this is not, you know, I gotta check in every day. Uh, if you come visit me, I gotta trip down. Like he's telling me exactly how bad it is. And so he pushed me to be around my older brother that's a cop a little bit more. And so again, that that way you what you're around, you fixate on it. You know, yep. I my brother, you know, being around my cause my the brother that went to jail, he was only five years older than so him being five years older than me there's just a natural he's closer to me i look up to him more than the one that's 11 years older because by the time i'm starting to be able to do stuff he's already grown out the house has his own family so he's a he's an adult like he's just an adult in my eyes like he's not necessarily my brother he's an adult um by the time i'm 10 11 years old you know and then the other one the other one is 17 18 years old you know he's closer to my age so I can talk to him about girls I can talk to him about like how I want to buy this or I want to go do that versus the adult that's already been out the house for two or three years you know going through the police academy and all that uh, so naturally like I said I took to whatever my older brother was doing I, and I, I followed those footsteps for a while he pushed me out of it early on to get me out of the, that life so I never really got a record uh, but it's a I mean it's not easy like, I, I try to do the same thing to my younger cousins. I try to tell them, like, you know, those, they're, it's true. Old gangsters don't don't last, you know? And I, this is something I realized re- recently. The most infamous gangsters that we've ever talked about, from the Wild West to uh, modern times, they were all young. Everyone thinks about a gangster being, like, in their 40s, and yeah, sure, the mafia people were, like, 40, 50 years old. But everybody else, Billy the Kid was like 16, 17 years old. Um, most of those, even those uh, gangsters that were big in the in the uh, mafia times, most of them were in their early 20s. Nobody really makes it past like 25, 30 years old. Like, and if they do, they're the, the anomaly. Most of them don't make it that far. You're a young adult making dumb decisions, trying to, and, and then they get idolized because they're amongst other kids. They don't realize, like, no, they didn't really live that cool of a life because they didn't last that long. It's a, it's just really strange when you start to break it down beyond it, because you're, you're so one-sided, right, in your mind when you're coming up. You know, you're, you're looking at it from a young perspective.
0: And when you're looking from a gangster's perspective, that has a limited view of what's beyond his immediate environment because like, like we keep saying like you know there are those that are aware right. at a young age like you and me who right. you know i know you guys you know something a little bit because you was kind of you know beaten to you that you, you're gonna be a certain way because the people yeah. you know the cops are like instilling this in you the news is instilling this in you people are right. cheating you this way it's like yeah like you say you succumb to uh the abuse at some point because it's like you're going to. Incriminate me anyway, so I might as well be a criminal.
1: That doesn't that fit to like your Willie Lynch uh, letter, like oh yeah, I'm
0: about this, to go all to it because <laughs> I definitely think I felt it when you said it. I'm like yes, this literally ties back to the Willie Lynch letter. This is exactly the right. type of master mentality that he wanted to, you know, and uh, perpetuate throughout in the entire history. And it's been 300 years since his letter has been written, and it still is playing out to this day, just like you're saying. It was you know, beaten into you. And that's the entire goal of the Willie Lynch letter. You know, the, the four criteria that he had outlined in the the document so that it was very um, easy to be able to replicate this and, and educate other, you know, white people or uh, slave owners or however you want to, you know, uh, portray it, because it has been over 300 years. And the fact that, Um, these techniques have been used for so long and they have been tried and true and they still hold um, precedence to this day and makes a huge impact you know on the way people live and so it is it's really sad to know that these people even if it's consciously or subconsciously know that you know, in order to keep Blacks and Hispanics down in in their own communities, to keep them separated, keep them in fear, and keep them feeling like they cannot rise against their oppressor. And it's really sad because, you know, it's, it's, it's like how we breathe. Like, it's just a part of our lives. Like, it's normalized at this point. And as Black Americans, we have like you said, laid down to it. And I am over here, like, we need to get the fuck up because it is time for us to, you know, wipe the slate clean. Like, we're not who you say we are. And I'm not going to continue to um, let this letter keep us in slavery in in essence because this is just modern-day slavery. I make jokes about it all the time, but it is, like we are still trapped in our own heads about, you know, how we treat each other. You know, um, we haven't even gone into how the people within the, in the community treat each other. I know one thing that Black Americans can learn from Hispanic American families is that you guys always stay together. And you even talked about that when you immigrated over here, your family came together. And when you went to school, you guys were all together. And like you, you made that strong knit between each other, that unity, that struggle between each other actually work in favor of you guys coming together even more so. The Willie Lynch letter is to keep African-Americans separate and it is still working to this day. We can never come together and be as, you know, functional, if not even still dysfunctional in a family union. It's just, it's very rare to see.
1: So so let me ask you, you've, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the, you know, this is why black people can't get together because like it ends up in some sort of violence all the time right
0: correct
1: like it's it's and then that would go to that same situation like they you know you're so (laughs) separated amongst yourselves that you can't even gather for thanksgiving or christmas without someone cussing someone out shooting up somebody fighting somebody and you're just like i thought you know we're supposed to be family but like when you've been your family's been stretched so thin and you've been you know you you trivialize such things that are not really that important, that it affects it, you know. And and it's been in, in, uh, inflicted by, again, going back to uh, that same letter. Um, and I'm actually we're actually to the point of the podcast. i I was excited to get to um, based off of again. I'm a listener, so I, I've listened to some of your your previous people and uh, and Chandra. She was talking about. Um, how her family like her dynamics in her family and how they they, uh, they've done some really messed up things to her and and we were talking through text message and I was saying how uh, you know the assault that happens between uh, in the household and not necessarily just her household but in in households in general like whenever I've read a lot of books um, I read Tiffany Haddish's book and in her book she was going through the foster care system right Mm-hmm. And she talked about how she was concerned that she had small breasts. And the old man that was there said, oh, you know how you get bigger breasts? You got to let someone suck on them. He's like, I'll, you know, I'll suck on your little breasts for you and help them get bigger. And she didn't realize that she was being molested that whole time. She was like 15 years old. And when she was 17, she was talking to her girlfriends. And they were talking about like, oh, I'm trying to get my boobs bigger, my butt bigger. And they're, you know, doing the, the girl talk about how it gets there. And she was like, that doesn't work. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought you said you're a virgin. And she's like, well, you know, the, the one guy, he's been, he, he tried that. And my boobs are still the same size. And she it took that for her to realize. And all that to say, we're so hush-hush on what goes on in the household. Again, going back to what you've normalized, going back to this is okay to happen because of why. Oh, well, you know, they let me stay here. Or it's for the better good of the whole family. Like, it's so crazy on how many books I've read where that's the the narrative. Like, a, a, a father or stepfather molests a daughter or a son, the mom knows about it but doesn't say anything about it because they feel like, well, if I say something, he'll either kill me or then we're all going to be homeless and what good does that do like I do everything else in the household so let me the least you could do is just have this happen and we just won't talk about it
0: and Um, and I want to take this a step further because there is a reason why this is happening uh, right because I also talked to you about how in somebody's right mind if they weren't sick they would not want to do that to their own offspring or their family members. So basically what this is attributed to, you talked about it, generational curses, right? And, and, And I also talk about science, right? There are a lot of foreign scientists that have been doing research on our DNA, right? And this correlates back to the whole, what you're talking about, I promise you. And so basically these German geneticists were and and mind you, none of these d- documents are printed because they don't want us to know about our DNA, and that's why I'm excited about this podcast the most because everything that we're saying can be can be backed up with scientific proof. And so, basically, these German geneticists were saying how your ancestral wounds, including sexual abuse, mind control, can be um transferred from you know your ancestors down to me. Like for instance, my right. if my great grandmother, you know, was abused and, and uh taken advantage of and I would still feel that pain today. Like it would still live within me. And so the geneticists or or this German geneticists were talking about how, you know, we can still feel that because it's still embedded in our DNA. So for instance, like you were saying how, you know, uh, the old man and the little girl, which is just so foul, um, it's because they have, over history like when we talk about slave masters and we talk about you know black women and men they how they snatched up the black the women um and they had they impregnated them just to make kids they sold off their children they ended up some of them sleeping with their own family members sleeping with their own kids these were all hush hush in the master's home right. it's just like uh you know history repeats itself it repeats itself in our dna too
1: it- facts like um and, and it's actually it, it's so-called revolution right uh, evolution right like mm-hmm. uh you, you take what what's the the experiment if you take a flea and let them jump it can jump 20 feet but if you put them inside of a, a glass container and it's only it can jump a foot it yep. continues to hit its head until a certain point then it just realizes like well i can't jump that high so then it only jumps like 10 inches so it doesn't hit its head anymore it's the same thing like the, that same generational curses and traumas that you have like you know what your grandpa got beat every time he said i don't know something about white people and then the grandma seen it so then the you know your your parents seen it so then they you know by the time it comes down to you and you're like I, I just never said it i, I had never thought about it <laughs> you know don't cross the street otherwise something bad will happen to you and I, on, I'm, actually that's
2: right. yes. I'm, I'm actually
1: a product of that same thing of like uh for those of you that don't know, I don't know how many people know you and know me, but I'm married to a black woman and uh, she often says, you never questioned why this or that? I was like, I never had a reason to. Like, I can say I have a a certain level of ignorance based on what I grew up around. Um, And with that, I I mean, I, I don't say it proudly, but I have no problem asking a question about something I don't understand. But... To her, she'd be like, you never, you know, that's a silly question, or she maybe maybe I never questioned something, like, uh I, like, for a long time, I was like, I never had a reason to leave Oval. like, North County was my, my, my domain, I love North County, and she was like, oh, you never went over here, like, no, I had no reason, I I went, I went uh, frozen custard, I didn't go to Ted Drew's, I went to Skeeter's, because it's in and I can go over there and get that, okay, <laughs> that's you where you I used to
0: go, go. <laughs> I love Skeeter's,
1: <laughs> I am like, you never, you never went to this pizza place like no if I wanted you know certain kind of pizza I would have went over to, to Ariel's or Nick and Elena's like you know I always did. I had an argument to anything like leaving my neighborhood I, I love North County so much but I was also told not to leave this is safe I know people here and if anything happens like you have an uncle over here you have a cousin over there so I had a safety net there Um, so I never felt the need to cross the street so to speak and then once you start crossing that street and you start seeing there's other things to it, now you're like, I'm like, huh. Everything I've seen over there, not necessarily that it was bad, but there's still some more to it. And uh, that's, it's an interesting thing. Cause again, if you're, you're just constantly told like, no, we don't go there. We, we don't do that. We don't do this. And then you just kind of like, okay, well, that's acceptable. That's what I was told. I never questioned it. And and that's, you know, that goes back to that thing like, oh yeah. Someone else could tell you a, a, another story about like, oh, well, your uncle did that one time and he got, you know, robbed over here and this and that. And so you just grow up like, oh, okay, well, we don't go over there because that's what happens over there.
0: (laughs) Um, And I want to take it back to your analogy about the fleet jumping 20 feet and then when it was put in the box, was only hit the ceiling of that glass box. That is so huge. That visual that you just drew there, is exactly what we're talking about in a huge perspective because at the end of the day we are the fleas right we have exponential power and infinite like knowledge at our fingertips we have all the resources which are our fucking birthright at our disposal but we've been taught and put into this box this flea in this box that you are actually inferior to all the other fleas outside of this box and you're also if you try to leave this box we will hurt you Um, and if you try to you come and unite with each other as a whole to try to get out of this box we will crush you And so I'm prepared to get crushed because we're getting out of the box. If I have anything to do with it, I have never spoken up and said a word about any of this before, but I'm tired. I'm tired of like, you know, running into people, black Americans, you know, Hispanic, Hispanic Americans that are still asleep. And I just cannot stand it. I just, it's like, come on guys. Like it's the time has come for us to, to be aware that, the stuff that's happening these societal like challenges that we have to hurdle over every single day is not fair to us and it's not right and it's time for me and you and everyone else to share their stories because like if we don't what what else is there to come like are we going to be squashed
1: you know for me for me it's more about it's not necessarily that I want to wake the so called sleeping up because there's some bliss in not knowing everything is that's what true. makes, it, what you know, what makes it tiring is because you're like, man, I am tired of turning on the news, seeing another school shooting, tired of turning on the news, seeing another black person got beat up and killed for being in their own neighborhood that they bought a house in, and someone didn't realize that they lived there, and then they call the cops, and all these things happen. You know, someone's two feet from their mom, and their mom had to watch these horrific things happen. Right? Mm-hmm. You, get tired of, you get tired of seeing it.
2: Right,
1: exactly. But for exactly. those, but for I'm those tired that don't
2: see too.
1: it, yeah. But for those that don't see it, because they just look at it as like, well, if you would just listen, if you just did this, I'm glad you can live in a rose-colored world, because the world that I live in, it's it, it. This is it's a horrible world. Like there's there's so much things to be afraid of. You know, there's there's you got to worry about. You know, we're in a world where you can't even have you know your own. The people that should be protecting you. Your parents should be the ones that you should be able to say, Mom, like, I went to school and this happened. Or, Dad, that you know, someone was beating me up. And these are the people that should be, like, coddling you, loving you, telling you it's okay for you to be who you are. It's okay for you to to fail and, and, and pick yourself back up. But they don't even do that. They're like, well, you just got to figure it out sometimes. Or they're the ones that are inflicting the most hurt and pain on you. And, yes,
2: this and is true. That,
1: to me is like, I I feel like I hear these stories, like I said, I heard Chandra's story, I I sent her a message afterwards, like, telling her how I I send her healing energy and and, and positive vibrations, because I I knew her in high school, I tried to talk to her a little bit out of high school, like, we're still in contact or whatever, but I just, I didn't know that that was part of her story, I don't necessarily know, like, even listening to this podcast, like, I don't know all of your story, and I was like, oh, I didn't know that about you, I didn't, I didn't realize it. Even some of your relatives, like I, I knew them. I didn't know you guys were related. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> yeah. So,
1: so it's because, so, like,
0: just like you were saying, like we we don't talk about stuff. Like it, it's just because it's embedded in us. Like I I'm a very private person. So me doing this podcast is completely outside my comfort zone.
1: Yeah. So I think it's funny because like my perception of who you were was like, oh, Michelle, she's the, she's the cheerleader, right? Like, the black cheerleader. I, I was never a
0: cheerleader. Guys. That's really funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but,
1: but it, you were I the, it, you were in band, it. right? You were in band, right?
0: I was in orchestra, second chair violin. Yeah,
1: see, yeah, yeah, see, I remember the uniform. I remember there was some sort of, but I'm saying like, oh, she's the, I kind of remember her. She did the, yeah. And, and, and being in school, Every, like they would say, like oh the the white the white black girl that was in all the stuff. Yeah, I, Shut know,
0: up! I didn't know so,
1: that. So, Shut so, up. So that would be because it wasn't what everyone else was seeing. Everyone else was looking at you know the again the Moody's or whoever and how they acted and like oh that's that's the normal. That's how 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 black people act. And then wow. you got someone else over here saying like you know what I want to join the council. I want to do this. I want to do that.
0: You want to know why Go I ahead. did it? Do you want to know why I did it? Because I didn't want to be a product of my environment at the age of right. 11 and 12. I said, okay, 11, 12 year old, guess what? I played the violin. I was smart. I was really intelligent. You know, I was like walking around a little prodigy. So I'm like, but like you said, we're a product, of our environment, no, nope, no resources, you know, poverty, yeah. lack of all this, etc. I see this at this age, and I'm like, okay, well, I don't want to do this forever. I don't want to be poor forever. I don't want to, you know, be alone all the time by myself. I don't want to feel like nobody wants to be around me. I, I guess, basically, what I need to do is go out and get an education because that seems to be the only way out of this situation. So. I told myself I was gonna be the captain of every sports team. I was gonna be the leader in everything that I touched. I was gonna turn everything into gold. I did that.
1: Yeah, and, and I, I seen it. And I, when I when I heard you say, say it before, I said that makes a whole lot of sense to why you were breaking the so called stereotypes, right? Yes, and for, for but me,
2: unintentionally
0: only for my selfish gain i had no i I had no intent on helping anyone else because i was like nobody else wants to help themselves like what am i supposed to do i can only have me right now i'm 12 like i can't really think beyond myself anyways
1: i was just talking to my brother yesterday about that and um we were talking about how um if you had a lot of money this happens mostly in minorities blacks and mexicans typically do this right um, you you become a professional professional like you're making a million dollars a year, multi million dollars a year, whatever it is. Athlete, you're, you get a fortune 500, whatever the case is. And what's the first thing that we all do? We go back to our mom or our dad. If they're if they're together, you luck out. You only have to worry about one one big bill. If they're separate, well, dad and mom aren't together, so I gotta, I can't buy dad a house and not buy mom a house. I can't buy one a car without buying the other one a car. And you, you take care of them. You, you do everything that they. You feel like I owe them everything because they sacrificed so much for me to go to college, or they sacrificed so much for me to go to these different schools and everything for you to become the success that you are. But in that process, they're living a great life, right? Mm-hmm. But then you've run out of money now you have no money and now you're you're now you got to figure out how am i going to make more money because i didn't spend these three million dollar advance that i got on all these people that i love so much that now i'm broke and guess what you
2: can't
1: do well. but they're looking at you for more money too on top of that Yep. because they're used and to it yeah so this is what we do as minorities and then you'll hear a white athlete like well why would you do that I, I heard this from a basketball player. A basketball player said, "Well, because they were like, you know, all the, the the basketball players talk about, like, oh, first thing I did was buy my mom a house and a car, because she did everything for me to get into the league." And the white basketball player, "Well, why would you do that? That's what she's supposed to do. She's taking care of you because <laughs> she's your parent." And that's the difference in the mindset. I, you know, I learned the difference yes. in the mindset of of the. Uh, of white people not necessarily from being directly there but like I worked in Chesterfield and those in, that don't know about St. Louis if you're in Chesterfield like that's the the upper middle class of St. Louis if not the richest part of St. Louis um, yeah. and I worked with these kids and and these kids were set up for the rest of their life they did not you know they didn't believe in God they didn't believe in uh you know, trying to make it to see tomorrow. Like, this is the mindset we grow up in. I'm, I'm just trying to make it to see tomorrow. If I can see a week away from now, like, I'm doing, I'm ahead of the curve because everyone else is just worried about seeing tomorrow. Uh, these kids were 15 years old and they already knew, oh, when I graduate, I'm supposed to go to college. I'm going to become a lawyer and become a doctor. I'm going to take over my mom's business or my dad's business and become a mayor. You know, all these different things. Like, I talked to all these kids they all had, their life already planned out for them because their parents have been telling them, you're going to go to school, you're going to do this, you're going to graduate, you're going to do this. Is there one or two that's the anomaly that says like, yeah, I didn't want to do that. I want to become a struggling musician and whatever. Sure. But the majority of those kids on that on, in West County, St. Louis, their their parents are talking them about their future.
2: Mm-hmm. Whereas again,
1: where we were, I'm just trying to pay rent tomorrow. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to get gas to go to work. <laughs> like, if we can get an extra five bucks and we can go get something to eat instead of, you know, eating the same thing we've been eating for a week, that's that's what we were worried about. You know, and, and we're we're taught to um I love the spirituality episode you had because Thank you. I'm there with you. I'm there with you in the sense that recently I asked my mom because so who who do you look at? And say are the most Christian people? Like I'm asking you. Me?
0: um yeah. In our in my immediate family.
1: Just so like if I was to say okay, you look out at a Christian in your mind, you're probably gonna say Black and Hispanic right off the top, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, so that's a whole nother segment for me, brother. <laughs> that's a whole nother <laughs> segment because you got to believe in Christianity.
1: But, but no, 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 no. I'm, not, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, if we were just to say who who are your Bible thumpers nine times out of ten, who are the most they're gonna be? Oh, you? you're, you're, you're named Joseph because of uh Joseph in the Bible, you're, you're named uh Michael from Saint Michael, you're, you're, and named, Maria. you're and Maria, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, these are the people, and then let's go because we're, we're on this podcast, let's let's go down the history. Who are the ones that are forced to indoctrinate themselves into this religion? The blacks and the Mexicans. Why? Because we wanted to keep them enslaved. You know what? We, we have documentation saying, you know what they, they put in the Bible? They said, uh, we want our slaves to be more obedient. So we're going to let you learn how to read. But when you learn how to read, you're going to tell them that it's it's God's will for you to listen to your master. That it's the godly way. That God wants you, and one day you'll be free, but not today. Today you got to be a great servant, so that way you can rise up one day, but not today, and, and be great.
0: On. Let <laughs> me. I need to digest that. I need. To, I need you to take a second, <laughs> breathe. Up. I need to digest that. That I have never heard, and it makes so much sense. Hold on. What? <laughs> yeah. And you know what's so crazy? Yeah. I didn't re- I-, I rejected the church. I did. I didn't. Things didn't add up when I was eleven, twelve. You know, growing up, like just like you're saying, it—it it, it didn't make sense that the black community, like my black church, you know. I remember my pastor telling me that, you know, gay people are wrong. Like he used to say these things in the church in front of everybody. And I'm like, all people are supposed to be, you know, under, but that's a separate thing. But the fact that it was so drilled in us from like birth, you got to get confirmed. You got to get baptized. You got to, you know, eat communion. You got to know the scriptures. And I used to be a Bible thumper. Somebody actually called me a Bible thumper once. And, you know, I start, I was reading the Bible, I was learning the Bible, and it just doesn't make any sense.
1: So, so I'm, I I, am a self-proclaimed real life troll. And not to say I don't have my own beliefs in God and whatever, that's a different conversation. But what I've learned, and and this is over the course of my, my young years, I won't out my age, but (laughs) in my lifetime. I learned that, you know, actually I had a, a friend of mine that used to do hip-hop and, uh, he, he said one day that, uh, he said something along the lines, I can't, I won't, I don't want to misquote him, but he said something along the lines, I remember he tweeted it, was during the time of, like, one of these, you know, someone black got killed or whatever, and he said something along the lines of, like, uh, some of y'all have been fighting, uh, Fighting the wrong fight, and, but but God's been fighting these same demons for like over 400 years or something like that, and it's just always when, when He clicked it in my head, I just immediately went to the again the civilization and socialization of how we have religion because I'm starting thinking about it like man, you're talking about fighting social justice wars, and you're you're still trusting God to to fix it, and He He let 400 years of slavery go on before we even got to today's world and you're still running to God saying God's going to fix it. And again, I'm not trying to alienate anyone in their belief, but what I'm saying is the most religious people have been beaten into submission. As I said in the, in the beginning of the podcast of how I got tired of being told you're a drug dealer, you're, you're scum. You hang out with these black people. You, you're come from a Mexican family. You're part of a cartel. Like I got tired of hearing so much, like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to do it. Right. The same way that we were beaten into oh we need you to believe in our god our god you need to fear god that is the one that's going to punish you for for your parents sins you're going to be punished for for your sins you're and whatever you do is going to punish your kids and and whatever um i always thought it was weird like that black people were forced to believe in god and they hold on to god for dear life uh as a christian but I was like, but in actuality, you were beaten to believe into this God, and why do you do that in a world now, where we have the ability, you know what, I'm not saying you don't have to believe in Christianity, but have you thought about exploring Buddhism? Have you thought about exploring some other religion? Maybe yeah. looking up African religions, just to kind of see if, like, you know what, this one fits for me, I like the way this one is. Again, we don't know who's the right one to pray to, or whatever, we just go with what feels right for us.
0: Well, I looked at the one way that I typically talk about theology, the study of religion and spirituality, um, is to look at the ultimate goal of all of these different religions. And and that right. I think that is what I always lead with because it's just like there's too much to even go into. Um I've met Buddhists, I've met Muslims, I've met people that converted because like you said, they you know became aware that christianity was one way and another uh religion or way of living was different that actually uh, tailored to what they you know believed in and i think a lot of times people don't have their belief system um Outlined and detailed, and know where they stand. And, and a lot of times that's tailored back to the fact that we're fleas in a box and we don't, we don't, we have all these limiting yeah. beliefs, anyways, um, that they can't really um, think outside of that. And it's really,
1: yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I, you know, and then for me, like with Mexicans, there, my must be a said I keep referring to Mexicans. I don't, I don't want to speak for everyone, but in my household, thinking about it. My mom being such a devout uh, Catholic, and I, I, I told her when I was probably 12 or 14, somewhere around there, I remember, I was probably more like 14 or 15, because I think I learned about it in uh, civics, or not, whatever was after so some social studies class, about how the Pope used to take money for penances so you could get into heaven. And I was just like, well, that doesn't make sense he's not God, how is he going to take my money and say like, yeah, you give me, you know, seven pieces of gold and I'll forgive your sins, I'll talk to God for you, and you're good. And from my understanding of the Bible, it's like, oh, if you just pray through Jesus Christ, you're going to be forgiven for your sins. So I don't even need to do all that. But uh, going through the idea of like, we learned about the the missions and the crusades through through uh, Mexico territory and how, you know, you start learning like, you know what, we're not supposed to I, I, idolize uh, anyone other than God but then whenever you start seeing like there's paganism that represents in Christianity because they you know oh well we have to have a, a symbol for you know they assimilated all of our, our backgrounds into Christianity so that way we would take to it when you start looking at uh, what they you know speaking in tongues it's uh, a language that they didn't understand and like oh that's a godly godly language that's that's what that is or um with the with the hispanic community whenever we're like oh mother mary you know she's she's the mother of jesus and we're you know we pray to her and jesus christ to help to get to our forgiveness through 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 god because you know we're not worthy but mary is you know so loving and and, and understanding and you just start thinking about it, it's like man we were beaten into submission to have this you know uh a, a mexican is, is a native before a spaniard come over and, and raped and pillaged them they were they were natives so they were praying to the sun they were praying to the trees and whatever but now they say well, yeah we can't do that you're gonna pray to our god you're gonna pray to our jesus and this is who who forgives you and if you don't you'll die so it's pretty easy right you just well i don't want to die so i guess all right jesus is the guy's name all right cool and now you have a whole generation that goes on and on and on. And all that to say, I asked my mom recently, like, why she never tried to find another religion. She was just, I like it. It works, and I, and I accept that. Like, mom, if you if it works for you and that's what you're okay with, I don't. I've I've walked away from it. I tell people, yeah, born and raised a Catholic, I'm not a practicing Catholic. Uh, I am more of an agnostic. I believe in a higher power. I believe in there's something that I can't explain I know that there's you know one plus one is two and I can't explain <laughs> to you <laughs> more than that you know like I I, I explored um the idea of uh, of tarot I explore the idea of yep, uh,
2: yep. yes yeah inner
1: spirit I explored like actually this last year I've taken time to actually start reading more of um what they call goldenismo uh, which is about uh it's a mixture between christianity and and native um, healing but it's more based in the uh, native healing more so than christianity but they they kind of tie together because of you know the passing of it but it's more of like a shaman type of thing and so i've explored more into that because i feel like well the natives were here for hundreds of years before anyone so-called discovered them and so whatever literature I can get on reading their natural remedies and whatever, not I don't neglect that you know modern technology has some benefits to it too. But if I can explore something that if I can get rid of a headache without having to pop a pill, I want to do that. If I can learn to read energies uh, because I've I've done enough studying to kind of see it and it kind of works for me, like that's what I want to do. Like anything I'm, I can do to better. <laughs>
0: I would consider myself a shaman, um, and I'm so happy you brought this up because the um, the the quick definition of a shaman is just a person regarded as like having access and like influence influence on the world of good and evil spirits, and uh, it's they usually go into like a trance state they do rituals and practice divination and do a lot of healing and that's exactly what i do in my tarot business it's not just flipping cards and like telling people future predictions like it's like you said incorporating that spirituality that you know just human decency and just like uh, it it, it so to to your point it's just kind of like you know understanding yourself versus like these religions and what people are telling you you're supposed to think and and be and live if you start to switch that over to who am i how do i relate to the earth and the in the sky and the universe and the stars and like really align yourself with that way and i feel like that's when people start to become aware it is not like you know just uh just knowing the willie lynch letter or just knowing your product of your environment it has to do with that uh, that self-awareness part too you know um exploring who you are what you believe in you know removing those limiting beliefs because that's what you've been doing you're stripping away uh what was once put on you as a like a a straight jacket at the end of the day because it's making us mentally crazy (laughs) literally
1: yeah Yeah. you know um we got sidetracked from what I was originally trying to get to, uh, but my point yeah. to to what we were were saying earlier was, uh, you know, the people that are asleep I don't necessarily want to wake them up because again, that sleeping, if you, you you're you've got a privilege to being naive to what's really going on. But I do want people to know that there's somebody out there like them, like that they're and not that's... alone because that's that's what happens. Like when you're awake and you see all these negative things, these connotations and things like that. You feel like, man, does nobody else see it? And then you're just like, it depresses you. It hurts you. Like you're just like, man, I just but want to. But that's do something.
0: what I'm <laughs> saying. Like that's what I'm saying. Like in order for you to be awake, you have to and and a uh, you know see somebody like you know us. Like you have to be yeah. aware. Like you have to be well like, at least waking up because like you wouldn't want to see, you know, the truth of you know somebody else doing uh, something. And I'm losing my train of thought right now. But my point is that they have to be some like level of wanting to wake up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like for, so for you, you like, you want to wake people up. My thing is like, I want the people that are awake to see someone else. That's like them.
0: And that's not, that's a, that's a huge part of this too. Like, it's not just to wake people up. It's literally, is just a piece of, of the scene.
1: You're seen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was, um, you know, one of my biggest things. Whenever like we, we talked about being portrayed on TV, when you see a Mexican on TV, you see what I call a California Mexican. He's got a raspy voice. He snuffles a lot. Slicks his hair back. Wears a, a either a white shirt or some sort of flannel shirt and some khakis. Like this oh is what God. this is what America thinks Mexicans look like. Well, can I,
0: I add like, the fact that they like? Publicized, uh, what's his say, fluffy, as like you guys yeah. uh, person, yeah.
1: Representative,
0: I guess I should say.
1: Yeah, well, and then there's there's that too. Like, so either you're 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 the quirky guy or you're this. You know, you're you're one or the other. Like, there's, there's it, like I hear black people say, like we're not we're not all a, a monolith. We're all not the same. Like, we all have different yeah. views and opinions and whatever. And that was like, so like with me. Like I said, I I do music, and when I set out to do music, I was like, I'm looking for the people that feel like, you know what, I don't. Yeah, I'm a first generation Mexican that's here, but I don't speak Spanish, not because of anything other than I grew up in the Midwest. There was no reason for me to speak Spanish. The only people that were speaking Spanish was my parents talking to each other, and they were talking in Spanish because they didn't want us to know what they were talking about. Like it wasn't, you know. (laughs) So those type of things. Those type of things, like you know, when you're the, the the odd man out, you just there was a in that movie Selena. Whenever her dad goes on the tangent about how hard it is to be a Mexican American, I, I told my wife, I said that we all felt seen in that moment. <laughs> I was like, in my family, we all talked about that moment. Whenever he was saying like, you're never white enough for the the americans and you're never mexican enough for the mexicans and i know I the like, same thing for black people I like, it's
2: African the exact
1: same people. thing i was like africans don't like black people and black people are like well we're not you either and so you're you're both again we're going back to the we're we're dividing ourselves amongst ourselves
2: correct yes you, let,
1: let me ask you this you, do you okay. remember going to the lunchroom back in the high school in renner
0: Yes, I do. I do. I do. I do. I have to get my pizza in the morning for <laughs> breakfast, and then my French fries so, at lunch. For the two things that you ate.
1: <laughs> so, so when you're on the balcony and you're walking down to go to the cafeteria, right? Uh huh. You ever? Do you ever look at how the cafeteria broke up?
0: Yeah, actually, I do. There were pillars in between. Yeah, and then people sat certain places. Like I didn't even sit so, in the lunchroom
2: because it was so. so dark. But but here's here's.
1: Here's the, the thing that I, I noticed. I noticed this in high school. So this is, again, I'm not going to age myself. But this is, I noticed it in high school immediately. I was like, this is interesting. You have the cool kids in one part, the nerdy yep. kids in one part, the, the, yep. the band people, whatever. They all separated amongst their clicks. It's normal. We all do that. But the part that I thought was crazy was even amongst those clicks had clicks the yep. nerdy people had the so-called cool nerds and then the <laughs> nerds had the, the the nerdy nerds and even the cool kids like oh these are the cool kids but they're also the burnout kids and then you know like there were clips within the clicks of the clips. i was like yo this is so crazy on how because it was split
0: right on social classes and that's what we have to remember everybody has a social class that we all because remember when we were in st louis everybody asked you Where'd you go to high school? It's like even if you meet someone today, they will ask you the exact same I thing. If you come from St. Louis, I swear, what I high still school did you go through. Exactly. You still do it. It's a social class thing. So you say so you came from Padville, you must be of the higher middle class or Chesterfield or whatever outside of Britner. Britner, yeah. nobody even knew we existed. We were like the Harry Potter school. I swear to God. <laughs> um. <laughs>
1: You know what's nope. funny is, I so do you follow any of the written like alum stuff or anything like that?
0: Um, I was gonna go to me and Alexis were talking about going to
1: the reunion,
0: I think it's this year. <laughs> uh,
1: someone's got to head it up. I don't know that anyone from our class is gonna do it, but no, um, um I was I looking could? at something. Um, Mr. Nolan made a video a few years ago. Oh man. And it was a video about the history of Whitney. and I liked the propaganda that it put because i'm I'm again, I love North County. I cried for four hours when I moved from North County uh, oh. I was leaving I was leaving everything that I knew and all the people that I knew behind. Um, and I say for four hours because it was about it was a ten hour drive from St. Louis to Dallas <laughs> and I was probably about halfway home, or halfway to Dallas before I stopped crying just from all the messages and text messages I was getting on the road, (laughs) but Um, um, Mr. Nolan posted this video uh, of the history of Ritten, and now me being woke, i kind of seen it deeper than what he probably meant it to be, but he talks about, in this video, oh, Rittner was like the first school to integrate in St. Louis, and we were the first school to to allow all these cool things to happen, right?
2: Uh-huh. And
1: the, un- the underlying truth to it was they were the first school to do it because they were too poor to not do it.
0: Wow. Wow. Like,
1: that's the unfortunate part about it. Like Rittner was a school district that wasn't necessarily supposed to exist, but it was a way to kind of keep everyone that was there out of their other so-called elite districts. You know, uh, uh, Normandy, by the time we left St. Louis, wasn't what it was when it was in its heyday. And heyday, it used to be a white school. Now, by the time it left, it was a barely a school district in itself, and it was predominantly a black community by that time. But at one point, it was a white community. Most of it was white, obviously. But I know people... My wife's family was like one of the first people to move into the Weston area when they were still all white people there. Um, she, she's, she proudly talks about how her family is like one of the staples that, that uh, moved into Weston before all the all black people moved in there. And her family was very much like, we won't be the, the stereotypes that they wanna have us because we, we're we not gonna be that, you know, having to live up to everyone's standards. But watching this video about Rittner was, they were talking about how at first, they just said it real fast. They was just like, oh, Ritter didn't have a lot of money at first. So they accepted anyone that wanted to come to our school. Yeah. So we had the black kids and we had the white kids and we had everyone in the surrounding areas coming to our school. I was like, that's funny. Like, nobody focused on that part. They're just like, oh, that's really cool. Good for them for not caring that you were, you know, you didn't have money or not caring that you were, you were black, you know. Because they wanted to kind of, you know, glance over. They wanted you to. To good good for you for, for being that inclusive that you didn't really mention how you didn't have a whole lot of money to start out with
0: <laughs> and that, I, that was the only reason why you did it uh, and it wasn't right. because you felt like oh this is wrong to oppress and yeah. not have these different nationality groups go to school right. but right. because you had no other choice and that's just disgusting but, um, but
1: don't get it wrong I, again, it I mean, it's a
0: yeah yeah i don't i love Britner. i feel like we were blessed to be able to even go to a school like this because a lot of people don't have football fields they don't have any type of sports or
1: art or any of
0: the stuff that we had so i'm very blessed
1: the plus side to Britner was that uh, even though like this is where i kind of have my complexes like a lot of people from the school Oh, I went to Ritter. Like I hated that. I hated the older kids that would tell me that. Like when they didn't know something. I'm like what do you expect? I went to Ritter. It used to piss me off so much. It still does. Oh, I but,
2: know. Yeah, but, it, it's like they didn't
1: realize the
0: the power of which we had. Like you know, coming out of that yeah. school.
1: But but for us, remember how many times that we were. T- they were like, oh, we're gonna lose our accreditation, and we we took a lot of those fucking tests to try and make sure we weren't the ones that lost our accreditation, right? Like we yes. took those tests so serious. And maybe that's why I had the pride because I knew if, if they lost their creditation, it wasn't when the class of two thousand four was in there. <laughs> like we were basically we were, like we were we 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 were in there trying. We were we definitely were trying not to be the ones that, that messed it up for everybody. But when you when you are that and you have that pride in yourself, like we were there was things that we did that like, oh we were proud to do some of the things that, like we have an impact we have a hitch I don't know how many other classes have cool things they can say I know at Wyland Elementary I, I helped create a uh a, they had a, a collage uh, mm-hmm. a mural collage that we all put like we did drawings and we we made the clay and everything and mm-hmm. I actually I'm proud of it because I had a, a an actual I drew a blind kid and actually put it on the wall so I know for a fact mine actually got on there, but <laughs> I, I'm proud to have that part of a, the legacy. Also part of Weiland, which I don't, I wish they would have put in that video, was um, Rittner allowed a, a kid with AIDS to go there, even though a lot of the people in the community didn't want him to go there. Uh... And I feel like that's something you should pat yourself on the back for. Like this is during the 80s when nobody knows anything about what AIDS was. <laughs> Um, And they said he deserves to have an education. He didn't live to see past eight years old, but he still was allowed to have a normal life until that point by going to Ritter. I know this story because that kid was my cousin that got a blood transfusion. He got a blood transfusion. And, you know, uh, science wasn't what it is today where they didn't know about uh, screening blood. They were like, oh, donate blood. Somebody's going to get it. It's going to help somebody's life before they started doing screenings. The guy had AIDS, they didn't know. <laughs> so, um, but all that to say like, that's why I have such a deep love for Rittner. I have a deep love for North County because there's a history that I know that, that my family has a legacy to it. But I never wanted to be, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it's that that video was just kind of interesting that they, like what they chose to share and what they didn't chose to cho- choose to share. It was interesting. And I was like, mm-hmm. I wish I could get them to change to You
0: something. have to send me that link.
1: I'll have to look for it. It's been a while since I've seen it and I've had other people talk to me, like, oh, I thought that was kind of cool to kind of see all this history that Rittner had behind it. And yeah, you know, I think Graham was the one that told me about how like when asking about what school you go to was a, a social construct in St. Louis. Like, it's a way of knowing how much, you know, where you come from, your background. Like it's kind of Im- embedded in classism and racism. I had no idea. <laughs> I just knew that was the first thing you said. Like, what school did you go to? But that's what I, I met somebody down here recently. They said they were from St. Louis. So where? And, you know, it's more or less to check to see, like, if you're really from St. Louis or you're claiming St. Charles or something like that saying you're St. Louis. But, you know, oh, I went to this school and that school. Yeah.
0: We did,
2: we did have a, we did on a, on a good
0: scale. We were on the higher-end scale of schools when it comes to, like, education.
2: about... A lot of people didn't have that,
1: I will say, like, do you think... Do you ever look at, like... We're adults. We interact with a lot of people. When they don't know something, do you think, like, what school did you go to? Because, like, we learned this in, in middle school and high school. Like, when I hear these these debates on like taking things out of like uh history class or taking this out like we don't want them to learn about black history and this like didn't y'all learn about this like i don't know like there's just certain things like i hear and i was like i know we learned that when we were like in fourth grade like that's how do you guys not know this and i was and i go off of like we i know we didn't go to the best school because we were still reading out of old books we were we were lucky when we were getting our computers (laughs)
2: I know, right? Um, I don't
0: I don't honestly know
1: like you you don't you've never like like heard something, but like I know I learned that like in high school. I learned that in middle school. like how did you like, I don't know. I'm thinking um,
0: there's so there's so many gaps in people's education. I mean, I feel like there's gaps in my own education that I'm still learning from people and I'm like we didn't have that in our school. But yeah, like that's I I, have I ran into people like that. Absolutely. That's why I'm that's what I'm keep saying. Like a lot of stuff that we had, a lot of schools don't, especially here in Chicago because it's a city like They don't have like sports like we do. Like I feel like sports is so important because you learn how to work as a team and collaborate and go after a goal and succeed it and actually be able to accomplish and you know uh, reward yourself. You get that cycle within your like that normalness and you. A lot of people don't have that and and I feel like not knowing how to work with the team. I've learned uh, a lot of people don't have that skill set, which I feel like is important. I feel like that's the one thing that I always run into.
1: Yeah, I I just like I said, there's some stuff that I feel like it was so normalized in what we learned in school that like, how did you guys not know that? Like that was Give like, me an example. Um like I'm trying to, that's what I've been trying to think of. Like I wanna say I'm trying to lean more towards I know like, that um, there
0: was something somebody told me on one of the podcasts that I didn't know and I was like
1: well <laughs>
0: My brother, and it was like I went to school and I should know that and so I feel like,
1: like you know for like, everybody... like like for instance, like the whole purpose of Juneteenth, right like mm, this is what how, I don't know
2: anything really about.
1: So you didn't, like, you didn't know that it was, like, why Juneteenth was? Or do
0: you know, like, you know? I know nothing about Juneteenth. I'm not going to lie. Okay. I, don't know. So okay. I knew okay. that there was so- merch for it. I knew that they were celebrating it in June, but I, nobody explained it to me. I didn't do any research because I didn't understand why it was just an explosion of some day that I did not ever heard of before.
1: So the the 4th of July is a celebration of obviously uh, American Independence Day, right? It's not technically the right day that we got it. That's just the day they chose to celebrate. Right. Juneteenth is similar in the sense that slaves were free for two years before they were actually told they were free. So on top of not telling them that they were free, they kept them there and didn't tell them and for two years, um, so the celebration of Juneteenth was when I, I think it was Texas and Mississippi were like the last two to to not tell their slaves. They were like, yeah, they're free. They can go anytime they want to, but they didn't want to tell them because if they told them, then they had to tend their own farms and they would go broke. <laughs> so there was a declaration by the president at that time to let them know, so that way they could go on and, and, and start their life <laughs> but all that to say is I remember from history in school was Missouri was one of the last states to ratify uh, to end slavery and those are things that like I was like I thought everybody learned that. but what I've learned in my older years is like we learn state history in whatever state you live in and it makes sense if you went over every state history in your 12 years of education, early education, you would know a whole bunch about a whole bunch of different things. There's 50 states. <laughs> and that's a lot of information to try and cram in there. Um, the thing I didn't realize is also your curriculum is based on, at least in Missouri, um, your parents say what you want you want your kids to learn. um They go to like, well, they don't. I mean, my parents weren't wasn't a, that active in it, but they have council meetings where they're like, "Yeah, you know, this is the curriculum that we want to want our kids to do." But like, let's say they said that if all the families in the community decided that Romeo and Juliet was now a toxic ass book and we don't want our kids to ever read this because it's a it's a bad example of. of a relationship and we don't want our kids committing suicide over love, they would just strike it from the book curriculum and they would just read a different book. Like sex education. We had sex education from like third grade all the way to like graduation where at first you learn about like, oh, you're going to start getting body odor and you're going to start going through puberty. And as each year goes on, they, they add another level to it. Like, oh, this is how babies come about. This is how this, you know, you start learning about this. But if you you could have gotten, if you were the one kid, your parents didn't want you to learn it, they would sign a paper like, now my kid doesn't need to learn this. I don't want my kid to learn nothing about this.
2: So you're
0: saying this now, how would the parents necessarily need to be a part of the choosing of what is on the curriculum? Because I feel like my answer would be, they would have to be on the uh, student, what is it, the parent? board or something like that
2: yeah yeah
0: um so, okay, so so like... when, has a, when has a black parent or a hispanic parent shown up at a parent teachers conference to say hey this is the curriculum that we want to our children to learn uh i've never heard of such a thing but you tell me
1: i've, I've never heard of it either uh again because You know, minorities, what are we worried about? I'm worried about paying rent. I'm worried about feeding you. I'm worried about someone not paying their child support. I'm worried about...
0: My husband going to jail. My kids uh, not having a... a You know, those hard life situations. I get it.
1: You you know, actually, the person I found uh, a few years ago that actually really blew my mind, um, which, again, like... So, again, I grew up around... My best friends were all black, and that sounds like a racist thing to say, but like I just nope. that's who I played football with. And like you have to know the dynamics of where we grew up to to fort not to down that way. Like if you hear it, it sounds like you're just trying to justify something. but like if you knew where I grew up, you knew who you know who I hung out with, then you it would make sense, right
2: but And just to to it,
0: know, it. like I hung out with all Caucasian people, like because I wasn't accepted in the black community like at all, period blank
2: because. <laughs>
0: exactly i've actually at at young ages like i've always been asked by other kids black kids why do you talk white well this is what i sounded like when i came out the mother womb i don't know yeah
1: my wife my wife is like in her family they they say she's white all the time uh because she talks proper um but yeah like it's a it's a thing right like we all know that this is a thing and uh and I actually had a, a, my best friend uh, from middle school or elementary school to middle school, high school, whatever. He wound up, one day I called him like, oh, you're not white or you're not black, you're white. He, he written me a new one. I learned, again, I, lessons that I learned, lessons that I learned. And I I, I took that lesson and I, and I evolved from it. Again, I have no problem. I know I say ignorant things. Sometimes I say it on purpose. Most of the time, I don't mean to offend anybody if I say something ignorant. And if I do, like I, I have a grin on my face, like I know I'm about to troll somebody. But I told him that he was he was the Carlton White type type of black guy, and he ripped me a new one. And he told me like you know I'm, my my color or my identity is not based on how I I act like what makes me black the fact that I don't sag my pants with, you know like no my black skin makes me black right you know side, just because I talk proper just because I do this just because I do that does not take away my heritage don't fucking say that and after he told me I that i was like, shit.
0: Oh, I would have been even more, I would have been more offended by the fact that you, you uh, helped to perpetuate the stereotype that TV already has tried to put on us. And they say that, you know, in order for you to be, you know, sophisticated, smart, you have to be associated with white. Uh, I didn't and necessarily, I never well, thought it was I, even- I, I'm not, I'm, I guess I haven't developed it quite yet, but it's like the the TV's perspective on how to behave when you're in a rich Black family.
1: You know, what's actually messed up is that we had an example of a better family than that, uh, even before that. But everyone looks at Carlton and Will Smith as the two examples. Because when you think about it, we had the Cosmes before that.
0: True. We sure and did. The
1: Kazis, and they were... If, if they were a white family you wouldn't know no different like if you were just like oh just replace them with a the white cast it would have been a, the same show as everything else but it was a black a black cast and it's, it's held up to yeah so but yeah so he written me a new one and i never i never made that i never said that about anybody again i never and i, I defend people with that same argument because I get put in the same thing. How, you're not actually recently. Someone said I wasn't Mexican because I didn't beat my wife and I didn't speak Spanish and I didn't make That's her come home so and me clean.
2: Messed up.
1: <laughs> and I was like, wait. And she was telling me she had to defend it, and she was just like, "What are you? Because he's not a stereotype. Would you feel better if I told you my brother-in-law had a kid at 13 years old and has tattoos and been in prison for the last 20 years, and they shut him up because they felt stupid after that?" They were just saying, like, well, we just never see that many that are like that. That's all.
0: And that goes back <laughs> to your, when you talked about earlier. You were saying how people were trying to, you know, the cops were treating you a certain way. And over time, you just kind yeah. of succumbed to it. And it's just like, no, I'm aware now that I'm not going to allow that to happen. Like,
2: you're. Uh,
1: yeah. You know, you know, after I grew out of that phase, I actually welcomed getting pulled over. Because I don't know. as like, I kind of got off on the idea. Search my car. You ain't going to find nothing. You're going to look stupid. Like, and I, I kind of like making them look stupid because, like, you're not going to find nothing. Do it. I don't care. Do what you want. Like, you're just inconveniencing me for a few minutes. Like, let's get get it done, you <laughs> know? Like, luckily, I never had the encounter where someone, like, tried to plan anything. And again, thank God that my brother was a cop and that's probably whatever what, what stopped them from ever taking things too far. Um, my friend Frost will tell you another story about how one night uh, it got real with the cop, but... Uh, it's it's funnier when he says it than than whenever I say it. But yeah, there's there's instances uh, in them situations like I could t- if I could tell you it'd have to be a whole other podcast talking about the times I got pulled over and the scary moments <laughs> that I had with those. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely. like I don't I, I don't I don't label people based on like how they talk. I I will say like with the the N word um, when you hear a white person say it and people get mad about it. I was like, you know, people don't get mad about it whenever they know that it's, like, it's said two ways. The the two ways that they get said, that's when people get mad, from my experience. One, if they say it, and they say it in a racist manner. Obviously, that that offends people. The other way that people get mad is they know they're saying it, trying to be cool, but it's not, like, a natural thing. And I don't know if you know what I mean, but, like... Yes, I do.
2: The the white kid that
1: grew up in the middle of whatever project or whatever neighborhood that you know like he legitimately grew up around black people and he just like talks exactly he mirrors his environment he's a product of his environment
2: correct. no one
1: ever told them that it was wrong and you can hear it how he says it the inflection of the word lets you know oh he don't mean no harm by it he just grew up in a neighborhood where that's how they talk
0: <laughs> correct and me I'm a black American woman I would never say that not even in like like a joking conversation I just don't feel comfortable because it's not the way that I was raised
1: the the funny thing is now where I'm in my life because my wife doesn't say it but um I I was talking to my, my my boss one day about outside of work I said man I said I don't say the word I said but I'll tell you what I said Let me get back around my friends and I'm fat Joe in this bitch. Like, I'm gonna talk just like Fat Joe talks exactly how you think he is, but because of environments, right? Like, how you act at work is different than how you act with your friends, and how you act with your friends is not how you act with your parents. And that's why I was like, Yeah, I said outside of work, I'm fat Joe in this bitch. Like, I'm not, I'm not this, you know, the corporate America guy.
2: It
0: gets exhausting have to play many different roles when you just want to be your authentic self like whenever well, and anywhere. that
1: to be is myself that's the thing though like me being like I'm a hip-hop head like it's that's that's my authentic self like I have engulfed myself in hip-hop and, and black culture and yeah a lot of my, my a lot of my friends would tell me like you're you're blacker than some black people by the, the things that I know about black culture by the things like the way I study music the way I study uh the different athletes and different like i just and it's not even necessary. i don't know like it's weird because i the mind is weird right because there's some people that that kind of like fetishize it or they try to like have some weird and i think fetishizing is the only word to describe it but they have some weird uh
0: and you're saying old- fetish size
1: yeah yeah, that's,
0: yeah. A, that's exactly what it is
1: yeah it's a weird like you have a weird uh, I don't know, for some reason they're just weirdly attracted to um, a culture for whatever reason. like oh, you you've sexualized the women or you've you've uh, you fetishized this lifestyle and how they talk and whatever, whatever. and I don't some words I don't necessarily like because I don't think that's what I'm trying to get through, but that's the only way to describe it, right? It's an but obsession
0: I, I, to something that is like exotic to them, but it, it's Right. It, uh,
1: yeah. That's that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Like they they fetishize it because it's exotic to them. For me, it was just like these are the people I grew up around. This is this is my these are my people. Like that's that's the way I look at it. And yeah so, your, like, special, if, your family if, the,
2: when you yeah. choose
0: when you are when because you choose your family and we, that's another podcast like when you get older and on these things like when you start to become yeah. aware like your family your blood relate relatives or blood yeah but at the end of the day if they're not the product that you're trying to consume the environment that you know then why would you continue to surround yourself around the same thing you know you don't want and if it's family yeah it's going to be hard to like you know say hey i need to put up a boundary but at the the end of the day that boundary is going to keep you your um, whole and satisfied and content and peaceful and you know able to stand up and stand behind what you believe That's in and I
1: feel like boundaries are hard boundaries are so hard
0: they're hard because even I, especially when you're trying to put in a relationship established one where the boundaries have already been crossed
1: it's hard in the sense that like again when we're talking family. You love your family, you love your mom, you, you love your Like, especially. Well, you, I can't. Uh, especially if they're halfway decent. I'm not going to say everybody automatically, but just in general, let's say you at least half ass decent parents that you care about them. Um, but even with, if you half ass care about them, right? Uh, and they say something that is not proper. Let's say they make a comment about the Chinese guy. They they, they don't call him Chinese, they call him Qin Chong. That's racist. But you don't correct them because they've been saying it your entire life and like, well, they don't, right. they don't mean anything by it. You're just kind of, it's a hard thing to like, because you're always their kid. And then do you want to, do I want to fight with them about this every time they say this or just like, you know, what, I'm gonna leave it alone. But like, you learn to pick your battles, you learn to, to find those boundaries. I can t- honestly say when I got married, because uh, one thing we didn't cover is there's a divide between like, when we have social justice issues we automatically black and brown get put together right
2: mm-hmm.
1: but there's also they there's a again as i said the mexicans don't get along with uh ones that were born here versus the ones in in, in mexico they they have the the white mexicans versus the black uh the the latin or afro uh, uh hispanics right mm-hmm. um and, and when you have those dynamics, so they, they don't get along with each other, whatever, whatever. The point going to that is, if, if you can't... Oh, man, I, I don't even know what I was going with that. Like, I know there's something about... Like, if you're going through these situations, right? Like, you're going to... my Like, when I got married, my, my wife is a Black. Her family's all Black. I knew going into this, like, a lot of my family grew up in St. Louis... They were all raised around white people like this is my the older family like my younger like my cousins and and everyone of the second or first generation outside of the ones that were moved here they don't care like they're you know we're friends with whoever we're friends with asian black brown whatever we're all friends um but my uncles were are racist they don't like black people i i warn my friends when i bring them around like i apologize beforehand they may drop an n-bomb if they see you they're gonna probably try and act like they didn't say it and walk away but I apologize, you know, I, I never want anyone to get offended and I have to explain it later on or it turn into a situation. And then I also tell them, if you don't want to come around, I understand that too. I apologize. I can't, I can't fix a whole, you know, hundred people like they're going to be who they are. Um, but I was prepared when I got married that some people weren't going to show up to my wedding. And I also said, if whoever, do, I told my mom, I said, whoever does not show up to my wedding that isn't, that lives in town, I won't talk to them anymore. I was willing to make that boundary because I was taking it unless you were had a real excuse. But I know the ones that were who who had their strong points of view. I was like, unless you you have a legitimate excuse, I'm not going to accept you not accepting my wife. Like, and that's a boundary that I was willing to put, but it's a hard boundary to do because I, this is my uncle. I've I've known them my entire life. They've been there through many different things. And so there's a natural love that's there, but at the same time, you're saying like, you know what, I'm an adult, and we need to evolve beyond these ignorant levels that you were raised around or that you believed to be, and we're going to evolve from this. And a lot of my cousins commend me for being the first one to do that.
0: yeah and that's literally the point of this podcast like in, in essence ultimately and i think that you captured it com- like perfectly um yeah that's
1: uh, one more We're thing I, just wanted, yeah. I, I wanted to say there was uh, jane elliott have you ever heard of her yes so i seen her her uh, green eye experiment that she did and i thought that was an amazing experiment she was another one of those ones that opened my eyes to like seeing things differently. Cause again, I never viewed myself as racist, but there's racist points of views that I was raised with because of being in St. Louis and being again, raised around people that were uh, racist. Right. Um, so I didn't necessarily see them as racist. I just kind of like, Oh, this is how we talk. This is normal, whatever, whatever. The same way we asked about what's si- uh, what school you went to. It's just it's part of the environment. But she was said this, Uh, she was doing an interview and she's like, anyone that would trade places with a black person if you think they're treated the same as everyone else stand up now and nobody stands up. She's like, I don't think you guys understood me if you think that black Americans are treated the exact same way as everyone else and you would trade places with them today please stand up and nobody did it's like, you not standing up is a perfect example of knowing that you know that they're they're not treated the same and I've seen that and it was so powerful like it literally took my breath away and i couldn't i had to watch it like three or four more times because i was like i tried to fight an argument i was like no because i i I wouldn't trade places because i'm proud of of who i am and what but i was like but what she's saying is because they're being treated equally if i wouldn't have a problem if we were all treated the same right
2: so uh, the the deep
1: deep love the deep pride that you that you're having for it wouldn't matter as much like it doesn't matter because you're still going to be you the only difference is, is you're, you're putting the social construct of knowing that the world sees you different. And I was like, ooh, that's, that, that hits deep in the soul like when you finally let it resonate. And that and then she, she also went on in another interview talking about how if you don't grow up racist in America, then the, the system has failed you. Which is another deep thing to think about. Holy oh that's
0: what I wanted to end the podcast with this lasting impression. I have a lasting impression on what one of my really close white friends said to me that I think about every single day that has really put perspective and had that same effect that you're talking about as well. She said to me, she said, I never have to think about white. And I said, what? You never have to She never has to think about being white. We have to think about being black and Mexican every single day. They don't have any words. That's what she was saying.
1: Yeah, that's 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 something that, yeah, that's deep.
0: I have never let that comment go because of that. I've had some other Caucasian people tell me when I worked at Nordstrom, we need uneducated black people or people He pointed at a cashier that was a single black woman. She was probably like in her early 20s. We need people like her so that we can have our our companies run, like to keep our companies running, keep our, you know, and And I just was like, wow. But the one where my best friend, she was one of my best friends. She said, I never have to think about being white. And I said,
1: Let me ask you, when she said it, was it like, because, you know, I know people, so was it just like a, a a comment that she just said without, like, thinking about it, or Ria's in the middle of a conversation where it was relevant to?
2: It was, on?
0: it was one of those. I wasn't thinking when I was talking. It was just one of those things. That, that that's that's the
1: way it sounds. Like it sounds to me like it was like a comment she made without even thinking about it. She probably never she even
0: thought about it. it even she said, never had to think about what. As she's saying, I'm not thinking about how this comment's going to affect you.
1: Yeah. Um, there was a girl we went to school with, and she was dating um, a black guy, and I, I I would probably say that she was probably considered one of the so-called cool and cool. Cool ki- white kids, or whatever, but she was dating one of the, the black uh, black guys on the football team, and she's driving. and There's a guy in the neighborhood that was known as Inward uh, Brad. This is a name that was given to him in high school, which he grew up in the 70s, but he owned that name. He had no problem as being called Inward Brad. And so she's driving down the street, like, Hey, that looks like Inward Brad, while him and his two best friends are in the car. And they said, What'd you say? And it's like, they we're Brad. He's over there with the lawnmower. Like, <laughs> and it's just funny because she did it without thinking about it. And then she said, I think, three or four times before it registered what she was saying and who she was saying it in front of. And again, it's kind of hard when the black guy allows people to call him that as his moniker. But I, and I knew who the guy was, too, because my family knew him from, from school or whatever, but it's just one of those things like yeah i could see how that's a little bit awkward for the the people that don't know because they're not from that part of the neighborhood and they don't you know
0: yes so i have an experience (laughs) that happened directly to me and some sort of essence of what you're trying to capture here too i went out of town with all my friends and a majority of them are still caucasian because again i still haven't had been accepted in the black community by any means, black card rejected, and so I'm so,
2: going. You know, Go ahead.
1: You know what's funny is you you probably the the community that you would probably be uh, accepted in is also a community that the black people reject too, is the Hoda community of of like because they well I don't even know because I think you're still kind of free spirited I don't think you you so called live a a woman's role type of personality because like. These these people in particular are like. Do you know who uh, Umar Johnson is?
0: Umar Johnson, no. Doctor Umar but Johnson. I will after this call.
1: Okay. He he's um uh, he says that he's a descendant of Marcus Garvey, and he's very like pro black and he doesn't believe like he doesn't believe in interracial relationships and whatever. Oh wow. But, yeah. There's a. He, his, his, I think, I think he's the one that made the argument. I think he's the one that made the argument of, um, you wanna, you wanna have interracial relationships, but no other animals do that. Like no other animal right. kingdom, you don't see any. You know, you don't see squirrels hooking up with rats. Like they don't do it. So why, why would do people do it? Like you should be with your own kind type thing. Which so is an extreme personality.
0: Spot on, and it goes with my DNA evidence that has not been printed. It's been copyrighted, but it's not been printed. Yeah. That our DNA has different series in it, making us different species. Bare-skinned people versus melanin-skinned people. We have different da- DNA series. We have a different number of DNA series compared to like an ape or chim- chimpanzee or like orangutan. We all have our own DNA series that make up our um, abilities or our capabilities to be, or our measurement of how intelligent we will be at a certain level. And, you know, Black people, melanin-skinned Africans have nine. Uh, you know, fair skin have six and, and so forth. Orangutans have four. Yeah. So, just like that doctor is saying, when you mix blood like that, you get a hermaphrodite or something. Like, you get things
2: yeah. that you're not supposed to get.
1: Yeah. So, so that might be. It's. it's they're. Hoda's like that. They have, like, not. Uh, like, you have to look into it. Like, they're just like uh pro-black and it, it, they have the their own um stigma like that even black people don't necessarily like about them because they like it can be toxic i guess is what it is i like, yeah, aside from some of it like i always because I, again I, i'm looking for answers i'm looking for for and i'm always open to a conversation so i listen to different people talk and i listen to it and i was like i kind of see what they're saying take away the toxicity in it some mm-hmm. of it makes sense you know and I, I try to be objective in a lot of it, so that's where I was going with that, but yeah. Um, you were saying you had another experience and uh...
2: Yes, and
0: so I went to a friend's, uh, I guess a engagement party or something like that, or it became an engagement party, but it's like 10 of my um, friends, are, most of them are Caucasian and Hispanic, and uh, we go there. I'm technically the only African-American with this group. And so I didn't feel safe when we went to this island because again, I'm thinking about being black. They're not thinking about being white and like the entire island was Caucasian. Um, yeah. At one point I decided to stay at the, the uh, lake house that we had rented out and they went to the beach to watch the sunset. Their experience while they were at the sunset is that all the white people started clapping at the sunset. Steph, she tells me the story like a day later, she's like, yeah, I was looking around and not understanding why they were clapping. And then she also said, they all looked around, they were like, everybody's white. This is probably why Michelle didn't want to come. And so they actually brought it up to me and was like, we're, you know, we understand how, you know, this could possibly be really awkward for you. And we're, you know, sorry that we weren't cognizant of it. Like, it's like in that moment they realized like, they all came into an awareness that I have to think about being Black all the time. And it was, was just... Gonna,
1: have you gotten to a point where you're, like... Are you comfortable? Like, if you were in a crowd full of white people, would you say, like, it's like, like, I'm comfortable? Or would you... Do you have that little bit in your head? Like, I don't know how comfortable I should be here.
0: <sighs> so... um i always scan the room i always am looking over my shoulder i'm always thinking about um, it
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, let's just be honest i'm always 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 thinking about it i walk into any room i think about it to be quite honest because so, especially with white people i you know I'm, I'm always like you know are they racist or not like you know if they are you know you know, what level are, are they, you know? And I just kind of listen and observe and, you know, hear what they're saying and what they're not saying. Um, if they avoid me, if they don't avoid me, if they, you know, try to make conversation or not, like I- I the microaggressions are real, right? <laughs> You're what?
1: I said the microaggressions are real, right?
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Like somebody that's like, oh, you know, some something that, you know, like as the one girl said, I don't have to think about being white. It's a microaggression, right? She didn't mean no harm by it. Like, not not in the moment, but it's a microaggression. Like, yeah, you know, to some degree, there is a little bit of... Maybe she is a little bit jealous because she doesn't have to think about it. Or maybe she has fetishized the idea of, like, maybe being... Like, like, we all know, like, the fetish... Like, this is the weird part about it. Fetishizing being someone of the opposite sex or someone you're attracted to that you know that you couldn't bring home because your parents would have a cow. You yep. know? Like... The, the fetishizing of oh I've always wanted to be with a Latin woman. Oh I've always wanted to be with a black woman or a black man.
0: And my dad you know was what? so pissed off. Oh funny. I actually in in college that used to be the, the, the um normal thing that a guy would force me into a white man. It was it was every it was every white man. Oh I've always wanted to be with a black woman. And I knew that they none of them would, you know, take me home because we never actually even got to the conversation of that. You know what I mean? Because they had no intentions at all of taking it to that level so those conversations actually never came up but the part about which you said oh you know I think black women are exotic and I find you know it would be you know I just want to experience it one time oh my god I had it all I had it all white men men all fantasize and if you look at a lot of big corporations a lot of white CEOs are married to black women because they know
1: yeah
2: they know
1: you know the, it's funny because it, it almost kind of they mirror themselves, right? Like you could see the same like all black athletes or people. It's not often you see someone that rises high into money a minority, but they always wind up with a white woman or a mm-hmm. white <laughs> like even Kamala Harris has a white Publicity. husband.
0: Publicity. Yeah, that's yeah. wild. But yeah, no, just that. I mean, this entire conversation has been amazing because it really touches on a lot of uh, stuff that I haven't touched on in previous podcasts. I really appreciate you coming on to the show today, Juan. I think that this captures a lot. I look forward to, um, you know, having these conversations even more, even more in depth um yeah.
1: and it's been fun like i was excited to do this just because like i said i listened to some of them and i was like oh i want to shed a little bit of light on this i want to shed. i do that a lot i was like i wish i could just say this part because like i know i know a little bit about it like i could talk about like i said a little bit of a situation i could say like oh i've read books i've heard this i've seen this so
0: and just like what you just said you're like oh i've always wanted to like have my input but you know i never had a place to Go to and say it. Right. Yeah. You know? So I'm trying to create that, cause, thanks like you said, there's an opportunity for this to be. Um,
1: I, to I be I'm actually, you told me you were doing this, and I, like, I knew you were gonna start it. And I, I'm, again, my my brand is like, I want people to chase their dreams. Like, whatever makes you happy, please, by all means, do it. If you're not hurting anybody, if you're not hurting yourself, uh, and and something you truly want to do, I always want to encourage people to do it. Um, and in that with you doing this don't get discouraged there will be weeks where you don't have that many listeners for whatever reason there will be weeks where you know some people aren't going to like whatever was said um, but don't let that one or two or even if it goes through a small period of like down just keep going at it and it will balance itself out
0: (laughs) no I appreciate that so much
1: because we're we're in a a so-called creative space we're creating content and when that happens people check in and out you know sometimes like I want to wait I want a few episodes to listen to sometimes people are going to listen every week because they're they're that person it's like I can't wait for the next episode and when you have those lows sometimes you'll question like oh it hasn't grown but I'm a fan of cater to those that do subscribe Correct. don't don't, don't look at it like I'm trying to get to to Mars and I can't even get to the moon yet and, <laughs> and get discouraged because that's what we all do like it's hard to to keep the I just want it to be something so bad so uh what you're doing is important uh for the culture and anyone that's you know because you're you're talking about mental health you're talking about societal, societal constructs and to be, like it's gonna eventually it's gonna rub somebody the wrong way, and, and I hope that,
2: too. I and I when it does,
1: me. you're gonna to have to determine on, you know, where it's gonna go. So and I, I, like I said, I commend you on it. I, I've, I've told Thank Tiffany you. about it, um, and I don't think she could handle Chandra's episode. But I think if uh, you ever asked her to be on it, she would. She deals with eighty, ADHD, and. Um, it's something that she she had a hard time like she can't talk to her like she goes she goes to a counselor or whatever and her aunt doesn't want to talk to her about it like she doesn't understand and you know
0: what's crazy every time someone talks about anything i've been through it so i actually take adderall for add and adhd as well so i would have so much to say um yeah in in regards to good questions to ask at least so yeah yeah. But like, no, I, it,
1: I tell you mm-hmm. because we like part of your conversation right is about mm-hmm. how we, we can't talk like the trump we didn't even touch on this but like we can't talk to our our, our own people about my nerves are bad what does my nerves is bad mean it means you have anxiety but Boom, didn't call right. it anxiety uh <laughs> so uh and and then you were like oh you can't go to the therapist are you crazy like I don't want to go like you we have these constructs on ourselves and and so that's why I enjoy this because it's Thank you. I know it sounds like it could be heavy but it we're talking about indi- each individual story my story is, uh, is a, a Mexican kid growing up in St. Louis and and dealing with having black friends in a mostly white neighborhood or having to go through being pulled over because I had you know black kids in my car and and these are things that people don't necessarily see because you don't you don't have that walk of life. Um, You know, you you don't know who a convict is and you have this idea that they're just bad people, but sometimes we're a product of circumstances. Um, Correct. You know, a lot of people, some people wind up getting accused of something. Like, actually, the Central Park Five kids, they they were accused of something. Then they were told, sign this paper and you can go home. They took a plea deal and then they went to prison for 20 years. So, like, they were lied to they signed a paper thinking they were going to go home and something else happened and these are things that i and it, it drives me nuts when i listen to the news and i'm like are you kidding me like it's never society isn't easy it's not one way it's not black mm-hmm. or white and that's why i love this like you can you're shedding light on something like we always hear the white experience and and whatever but we don't hear the the black voices saying like i'm like you i've been through this too and so i uh, mm-hmm. i, I want to give you your flowers for doing this
0: thank you and it and the hard truth about, you know, us being a product of our environment in either the Black and or communi- Hispanic communities is that we are going through all these different societal challenges. And, you know, one thing that we haven't said is that we have overcome this every single time. Every single time we've had, you know, been treated with the most um, disgrace and disrespect and bludgeony and just... You know the deepest of wounds and trauma you know we um have always overcome we've always re uh re not repurposed ourselves, but we we came back in a different
1: way um yeah and I well you evolved that, like you evolved, evolved
2: exactly um mm-hmm. yeah
1: you, you evolved to overcome like you don't like yeah maybe you do lay down for a while but after you catch your your wind and your breath you know know what I've had enough time to get up we're not doing this no more and you're right so uh, I think it was a great episode I I really appreciate you. you letting me get on here and hopefully I can come back on and we can go into some other discussions too
0: no, I appreciate it. And then, you know, one thing I want to also start ending my podcast with is, you know, despite all these challenges that we deal with and all these inspiring stories that I'm, you know, accumulating and, and and being having the privilege of having on this show, we are celebrating those that have tried to make a difference, you know, that are that have made a difference. You mentioned Dr. Umar Johnson shedding light on things like that. Jane Elliott, you know, uh, shedding light on topics that, you know, from a white person's perspective on the black in, in, in community. And there are other names, notable names that we could talk about um, that have paved the way for us to be able to even have these conversations openly without being uh, put in jail for it. So, you know, I want to just give thanks to all those before us, um, especially like Ida B. Wells and Harriet Tubman and Rosalie, you know, Rosa Parks and all these people, Martin Luther King, Jr., Malcolm X, that have, you know, fought this fight and it's time for new advocates. Sacrificed a lot, yeah. they sacrificed a lot and it's time for a new generation to do so and step up to the plate. And that's where I'm putting myself out on the ledge for everyone else right now. So thank you Juan again for the compliments, the flowers, your presence, your words, your story. It's been hopefully gonna make a huge impact
1: Hopefully, people like it. Uh, But
0: thank you. You're welcome, Juan. I hope you have a great day.
1: All right. Me too. Bye. Bye.